Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and uh, today's episode is a very special one, a, a bit of a different one. You're about to meet an amazing man and I met this amazing man one day when he uh, pressed the doorbell on the new house that I have moved into and introduced himself as my next door neighbour. His name is Phil, uh, Phil McDonald, and he has, it turns out, an amazing story to tell. Um, here's the thing, I don't want to do too much of it in the intro because it's such a great surprise as I learn about some of it, but Phil and I were having a conversation one day. Uh, he firstly introduced himself, just a lovely guy, uh, 72 years old, Phil, and uh he offered to come over and trim the hedge that's in between our two houses, which was a very nice and generous thing to do. So he came over one day and you think, oh, well, it's nice. We've moved into this new area and uh, what a lovely guy to have as a next door neighbor. And I got to meet his lovely wife, Susan, and she uh, was also really wonderful and welcoming. And, and they were just an absolutely loving couple, you could absolutely tell. But it turns out that they are also adventurers. And you're going to hear about the adventure that Phil and Susan are on at the moment and some of the adventures that Phil has had previously in his life. Now, the first one I was aware of was the reason that we sat down to do the podcast. But um, as we talked, as you will get to hear, I discover more about Phil as well as the uh, podcast goes on. Like I said, I don't want to do too much. I, I could tell you some more about Phil and the things he's done to try to hook you into listening to this podcast. But in doing that, it would be it would be like uh, you know showing a preview to a movie where they put all the best bits in the preview, and then you think you've seen the whole movie. Well, all I will say to you is if you've um, tuned into this one, have a listen, uh, stick with it. Um, I think you're about to have your mind blown by uh, the adventures of a man who I discovered uh, living next door to me. Uh, here's what you can do. Um, once you've heard this episode, I think you will want to follow uh, the adventure and uh, maybe even contribute and support the adventure that you're about to hear about today. So uh, when you do, you can go to philsusanmcdonald.com and you will hear about uh, the adventure that they are on right now, that they are have already started and they are off on. Um, it is a pretty amazing, stunning uh, adventure that will take them almost half a year. Um, Anyway, again, I, I, I don't want to give too much away. Just please stick around, listen to this story and uh, enjoy uh, Phil talking about his life. Um, if you like the podcast, the best way to keep it going is to support us at uh, patreon.com slash TOFOP, T-O-F-O-P. Uh, but today, if uh, you want to support something, I would recommend instead supporting Phil and Susan McDonald. Uh, they are doing the adventure that they are doing uh, in order to raise money uh for the fred hollows foundation they've always been uh big supporters of charity and so uh, if you can go to the their website philsusanmcdonald.com uh there is a button on there uh where you can donate and uh help support the adventure and help support the fred hollows foundation anyway so this week if you want to contribute to the podcast that's what i recommend you do go there um have a look around follow uh their blog and uh, all the information that they're updating along the journey and uh, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll talk to you again soon. Hello. 
Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Um, this is a bit of a different episode today. Uh, normally, it's fair to say, I would say that people could have a look at the name on the episode or the picture of the person on the episode and they might immediately know who they are. Uh, today, you may or may not know who our next guest is, but this is how the podcast starts anyway. Uh, I say, guest, who are you? Phil McDonald. Now, Phil, how do we know each other? Next door neighbours. We are. Yeah. <laughs> I have just moved into a new house in Melbourne and Phil is my next door neighbour, immediate next door. Uh, the So far, definitely number one in the friend list of people in the neighbourhood. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, made himself known very early on. You've come over and uh, trimmed our communal hedge for me already, which... Yeah. Uh, yeah, I knocked on your front door first and, and to see what you're like. And yeah, yeah you're a nice guy. So I thought I'd cut your hedge then. <laughs> <laughs> now, Phil, the uh, reason that I've got you on the podcast is we were having a chat out the back the other day and I discovered something absolutely amazing about you. And I, I wanted to get you on the podcast to talk about that. But as we've chatted more and more, I, I feel like this tale is going to become more and more interesting because the more I'm learning, the more that I, I feel like there's a whole bunch of things that I don't <laughs> quite know. So, uh, Phil, the way that I normally start this podcast is I ask people if they have a philosophy towards something. It can be towards work, life, love, anything, a motto of some kind, uh, you know, a, a way that, you know, a philosophy through which people sort of live their life. And you strike me as a man who might, might have one or two, I think. Well, I have got lots of things in mind, but I haven't really put anything together. But I thought, I went for an 18K walk this morning. And I thought, I'm seeing Will later on. I've got to get something here. So this is a little bit of a brief of what I think and have what my philosophy. And you've got your philosophy. I, Phil, oh, have got my oh, philosophy. Yeah. So oh, how about I that? I don't like that you're coming in with all this good branding, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> but... Um, Explore the unknown, risk failure and fame, share your energy and friendship because nothing stays the same. Oh, Phil, I love it. Good job. Well, so that's what an 18K walk will do. It'll clear yeah. the mind, give you an opportunity <laughs> to think about something. Yeah. Well, let's start talking about why you were on an 18k walk this morning because that'll get us into what started me thinking about this conversation and then we can go more broadly but let's talk about that first why did you go for an 18k walk this morning phil well i have in two weeks time on the 6th of may i'm leaving royal park melbourne and walking from um from royal park right up to Corumba in northern queensland following the burke and wills route and uh and so I thought I'd better start doing some training. So I did a 10K walk yesterday and an 18K today. I'll probably do a 35 or something and probably Wednesday or something like that. And another, maybe creep up to 40. And then, um, then I should be primed. Then I'll give myself three or four days rest. And then May the 6th, I head off on 3,200 kilometre trek. Now, firstly, um, I think that's more training than Burke and Wills put into it. So I think, I that's, think so, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the good news. <laughs> and you did tell me happily that you're not going to try to come back as well. That's well, the that's exactly they right. <laughs> they did do the, the complete crossing of Australia. And uh, why, why they were doing it, of course, is to see if they could get the um, 
the communication lines across and right through Asia and so on. But John McDougall Stewart, he had left Adelaide going up the centre, which is um, going up through Alice Springs and so on, which wasn't there then, but he was finding a route up there. And, um, and Burke and Wills, they, Victoria, were wanting to beat South Australia. So um, while Burke and Wills are going up there, they were racing John McDougall Stewart, but had, they didn't know that John McDougall Stewart, Stewart had come back. So they were going in ridiculous um, time of the year. They left, they left Melbourne on um, the 20th of August. Then they left Cooper Creek on the 16th of December. You can imagine how hot it would be up at Cooper's Creek on the 16th of December. And they're going further north, right up to the top of Australia. And that's going to be um, thunder and lightning. It's going to be torrential rain. It's going to be humidity. It's just the wrong time to be there. So they should have just given up them then. But as you said, yes, they came back. And of course, they died at Cooper's Creek. And they'd already achieved what they wanted to do is cross Australia. So... I'm not going to come back. What come uh, back what made you fascinated in doing this particular walk? What was the, t- t- take me back to why you decided that you were going to do this in the first place? Yeah, I, I was um, a 15 year old. I I wasn't a book reader, but I found this book on Cooper's Creek by Alan Moorhead and Burke and Wills, you know, crossing Australia, and it fascinated me. And I thought, wow, that's real adventure. Unfortunately, it was a tragic adventure. But it was something and uh, it just, I thought, I've got to see that place. So when I got a licence when, when I was 18, um, probably a year later, I went up to Cooper's Creek. I went to Inaminka and Birdsville and all of these places. And I nearly lost my life as well because I got stuck on the Birdsville track without any, um, and that was in the middle of summer. But uh, yeah, so that's sort of how I got in, involved. And I thought, I, I love Australia. And I've, I've been around Australia quite a few times for, for different reasons and um and then I retired from running a bicycle business two years ago and uh, I actually I had a, a coronary blockage and um, I had to go and had a, a stent put in my coronary artery and, um, and I, I did rehab. And the nurse said to me, she said, look, you've got to do walking. You've got to walk every day. And I walked out of that hospital and I thought, walk every day. You know, I thought, what can I do? You know, I thought, well, as a maybe I'll do the Burke and Wills track. So I asked. <laughs> she was my, probably thinking, just you know, take the dog for a couple of laps around the block, Phil. I think. <laughs> well, that's what it was supposed to be, but I'm a little bit eccentric, I suppose. And I thought, well, yeah, I could do that. So I had to come home with my towel between my legs and said to Susan, I said, "Hey, Susan, I'm uh, I'm thinking of you know, I've been told to walk every day, so I think to walk in the Birdsville, um, the Burke and Wills track." And, uh, and how did that conversation go? Was she because she's going with you? Of course, she's well, of course, your support. She's, she's my support. Yes, I can't go unless Susan supports me right. and drives the car. We've got to have the car. We've and uh, she doesn't really want to be towing caravans and trailers and all that sort of thing. And neither do I. And so we've got the Land Cruiser and um, we sleep in the car. We eat outside the car. We've got a little awning and um, <laughs> and we set ourselves up there and we. It's not much good setting up um, too comfortably because we're moving every day. And, uh, you know, I'll be averaging 30 k's a day, but some days 35, some days 40, some days 20, but it's an average of 30 k. And Susan is a very, very important part of that 
of that um, expedition. Uh, when you're walking, are you just walking? Uh, I'm interested in this because I walk a lot, but I'm a big uh, listener to things. Like, you know, that's where I catch up on my world. You know, I listen yeah. to a lot of you know, radio shows and podcasts and stuff, and I tend to get that done as I yeah. go about. But what do you do? What's your, uh, are you listening to music? Are you in your own thoughts? Are you walking without someone in your ear? Like, what, what's your kind of method to get into the zone? Yes, it is music. I love music. My dad was a great pianist. My sister's a pianist. I love singing. I love music. So I do, do li listen to a lot of music. Um, and I'm going to live, listen to Will Anderson's podcast from now on. Because <laughs> that will pass a lot of time and very interesting. Um, yeah. And also, while I'm planning, I've, I've bought myself a tape recorder. And I'm, I'm going to be recording my life, actually. And... Uh, Interesting that you ask that because that's what I'm going to do and I have to write a book when I come home because it's not just um, this walk. It's uh, I've had a, a few experiences throughout my life. So, And I thought I'd share it with... We've got 15 grandchildren and they really know nothing about us and we could drop off the perch tomorrow. And uh, So I thought I should jot a few things down. Yeah. Well, Phil, hopefully I'm, I'm going to get them listening to the podcast at the very least. They'll have this. They can, they can tune in. Wow, that would be very nice. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, well, tell me about some of the adventures you've done previous to this. I, I want to mention, by the way, that um, you're doing this also uh, for the Fred Hollows Foundation. Yes. Uh, and uh, so people can actually uh, donate and I'll give people all the uh, details and the link and stuff at the start of the episode so that they can actually go and uh, work out. But why, uh, just I, I, before we move on, why did you choose the Fred Hollows Foundation? Um, well, as I was saying, we did bicycle tours for the last 20 years and bicycle tours all around Australia and usually city to city and so on. But I wanted a bit of a excitement, as I said, that I like Central Australia. And, um, and I used to take my son and his mate up to Burke and we used to ride motorbikes up there. So I thought, I might do a bike ride from the back of Burke to Burke Street. Sounds pretty good. So I did a bit of research there and I saw that Fred Hollows is buried at Burke. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, he's buried at Burke in a cemetery there. So I thought, well, that'd be nice. We could have a sort of a, a bit of a, a, um, you know, a service type thing at his grave site and then start the ride from there. So that's what we did. We had about 35 people came on the bike ride. We, we bust them all up there. And, um, and then we started off at Fred Hollows Foundation um, or Fred Hollows Grave. And I got in touch with Fred Hollows and said, I'll raise some, raise some money if you want to. And they said, yeah, please do. So we raised about $33,000 for that one ride. So all the bike riders put them, went out and saw the different people and said, we, I'm riding from the back of Burke to Burke Street. And um, so, yeah, we raised a lot of money. And uh, the first day, I think, was about 150 k's. The second day was 254 k's. And uh, it was tough. It was a big, big ride. But they did it. A couple of them might have got in the bus, but um, it was a fantastic ride. So that was my association with uh, Fred Hollows. And we did that. We raised in total for about $165,000 for Fred. And... Uh, but then they were not really organised so much for what we were doing because people wanted receipts and so on. Mm. So I was talking to um, MS and uh, they were saying that, you know, they're more 
applied to that sort of thing. So we've raised about another $150,000 for MS and it just goes on. I mean, that's fantastic. My uh, great friend, Adam Spencer, who I used to do radio with, he had his he had a bad eye when he was born and he had his eye operated on by Fred Hollows and they became uh, really? yeah, quite good uh, friends over their lifetime. And so I always have a great awareness of things that are done in the name of... Uh, you know, yeah, the Fred Hollows uh, Foundation and the amazing work that they have done. What a, a fantastic Australian. Yeah. Uh, so where does this spirit of adventure come from for you? Have you always had it? Where were, you, where, were you, where were you born? Where are you from originally? I was born in the Mercy Hospital in East Melbourne. And um, we lived in Ivanhoe. And it's beside the Darabin Creek. And I loved nature and the Darabin Creek. And I played down there with my mates and it was just fantastic i loved it and i think i learned a lot down there and um there was an older guy i can remember it was my cousin actually and we used to go for walks with him and he used to take us on on um sort of um challenges and he'd he'd climb up a tree and jump down and us little kids have maybe we were 10 or 12 or something i don't know but we had to jump and we had to cross creeks and we had to jump as far as we could and and that was real adventure for me and mum could never i got a watch when i was about probably five or six because i didn't i never came home and um i can remember that and but i only had it for about a week and i was we used to catch frogs all the time and i'd dive my hand in and grab the frogs and the, and the watch stopped and i said to mum i need another watch and she, <laughs> <laughs> so they gave me a big free reign right. and i i love that and um i am a bit um, a bit stupid with a lot of things but anyway I do that and I luckily I get away with it and um, so it's just been adventure and that that Birkin Wills book really opened up the a lot more for me by traveling around Australia and and um, yeah so the tra- the idea of traveling around Australia I think is a fascinating one I've been really lucky through a couple of experiences I had in my life one was when I was in year 11, between year 11 and year 12 at school, uh, an organization called the Lions Club used to run this yeah. uh, thing called Lions Youth of the Year. They may still have it, I'm not sure, but it's essentially a public speaking competition with some elements of community service and some stuff around it. But essentially, it's a public speaking competition. Yeah. And the, the prize, they collect all the sort of national finalists and they take them on this seven week trip around Australia, essentially together. So there's like, you know, one from each state, you know, all the kind of, and we all speak it. So the kind of model of it is, you know, you're looked after in each place by, you know, particular Lions Clubs and the yeah. sort of cost of doing business is we all do our little speeches at the Lions Club, you know, for the, <laughs> for the nice. night, you know, and that's, but it was a great opportunity for me to see parts of Australia that I, at that stage, had never had the opportunity to see. And I must admit that it was my great summer romance. Like I fell in love with this country in a way that I was not aware at that point. And since have, you know, through my job, you know, the capacity yeah. to tour places, there's not much in this country that I haven't got to see. <laughs> That's very good. And it's, but as you, as someone who has explored it, know that I think there is so much of this country that people will never see that yeah. they would be surprised to know exists. Yes. Yeah, true. Very true. And the people, the country and the people. And so when I was going up, you know, I'm talking, um, I'm 72 now. So, you know, 20, 25 years of age, we're going up there and it was all four-wheel drives um, or two-wheel drives, but doing the four-wheel drive tracks. And um, there were no coaches or very, very few coaches. So when you got into the pubs, you met the guys that were driving the four-wheel drives 
and they'd just had one hell of a time or they'd bogged for a week or something like that. So there's all stories to talk about, you know. And so it was very different. Now there's the roads are made and the cars are much, much more capable of doing what they can do. And uh, so it has changed. So it was fascinating to meet all the people. And we used to, we used to just love going in the pubs and having a few drinks. And you know that you don't have to drive anymore, so you can just sleep out in the, out in the back of the, back of the hotel or wherever you wanted to. We usually camped. We didn't have any money, and um, so I and the pubs had all the all the stickers and all the different jokes and everything all the way on the walls and that was fantastic and we just loved it uh so what was the first sort of big uh big adventure like this one that you're about to do that you did yeah uh i suppose i used to be a smoker and a drinker mm-hmm. and doing everything else and my first, and it was new year's eve when i was 49 and i thought what am i going to do for my, you know, for the New Year's Eve resolution. And I thought, I'll run 50 k's a day from the lowest point in Australia to the highest point. So so I did that when I was about 51, 52 or something. And uh, I'd met Susan then. I just met Susan. And uh, I said to her, I, go, I dropped another one on her. I said, hey, Suze. <laughs> <laughs> I said, when I was 49, I... I said that I was going to, that's right, I was smoking, I was going, I was going to have my next smoke yeah. on the top of Mount Kosciuszko. So um, anyway, I said, would you, do you want to support me? She said, yeah, sure. So she drove the 50K, so I came down to, the, to St Kilda Pier here and stripped off and had a naked swim there, and I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> and uh, freezing cold. And then I, I took off and I, I ran all the way to Coldstream. And... Uh, yeah, and Susan drove to White Coldstream, so she measured the distance, of course. And at that time, I was living in Lilydale, so we just came back and and slept the night at home. And then the next day, we went on to I can't remember. It was up in the up in the Black Spur, I think. It was another fifty k's, and I kept on going to the fifty k's, and I did that. And so that was my real adventure. I did a, a fifty k's all the time um, for for twelve days. What was I mean? I can't. If you you hadn't been training for that though, right? Or you had well, been. I I wasn't. Really, I had run a marathon about ten years before. Yeah. But I said to Susan, I said I'm going to train for this, so I did a five k, and uh, for every week I did five k, ten k, fifteen k, twenty k, and I did right up to fifty k, and so I did five k's, increased it every week, and then I took off and and I did my fifty k. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> I imagine pretty, there's got to be. I was be. pretty lucky. I was pretty lucky. But anyway, that's what Well, I, I was going to say, if you're doing 50K a day, because that's like, you know, a marathon every single day. Yeah. And you're going uphill. Yeah. Like, you yeah, know, yeah, so, yeah. Like, this is, <laughs> not only are you running a marathon every day, but you've decided to make the entire thing essentially uphill, which well, is. Actually, what I was doing, because <laughs> we were doing bike tours and I thought I'd, I might do a bike ride um, from Kosciuszko to St Kilda or maybe up. Mm. But um, nobody wants to go up; they want to go down. So that was actually a co- uh, um, um, uh, we're checking it out a reconnaissance right. for the bike ride. So we did that, and I think the next year, then we did a bike ride from Kosciuszko down to St Kilda. Oh, back down the other way. Yeah, yeah, back down. And so, um, 
yeah, that was sort of my first one, and I I did various other things. I can't remember what they are, but but it followed then that I found out that Lake Eyre is the lowest point in Australia, not not sea level. Right. And I was doing some more research to do a bike ride up the Mawson Trail, and I know this was in thir- 2013, and I noticed. In 2014 was when Mawson returned from the Antarctic. And I thought, wow, you know, I've been talking about going from the lowest point, sea level to the lowest point. So I thought, well, I might as well run from Port Augusta to Lake Eyre. Was was 690k. I did this in 2014. And, uh, but in training to do that, I was, a run, I, was, I was running anyway. And I strained my Achilles heel and I couldn't walk properly a week before. So I, um, I went over there with Susan anyway, and, uh, and I walked, and I walked, and I walked, and I walked my 42 Ks. I did a marathon every day. And, um, but oh, it was very different to running, and I got massive blisters on my feet, and I'm, I wasn't really decked out for it at all. So it was a really tough, tough effort. And I raised $25,000 for my niece who had, who had um, breast cancer, yeah. Uh, so when you're struggling through that, I'm interested in this, like, uh, when you hit moments within these things, and I'm sure there's going to be, you know, you have to prepare yourself for the fact that on this walk, you're going to have some tough times as well as some, you know, good times. How do you prepare yourself for that? You know, mentally prepare yourself for that? I think I've done it all my life, you know, because as you say, it is mentally, you have to be mental to do it. (laughs) And really, you've got to, um... You know, your brain, sometimes your legs get sore or you get a, just a couple of weeks ago when I was doing some walks, I had a sore leg, a sore foot. And I pushed through that for about a kilometre. I was nearly going to have to stop. But somehow it goes away. And I think a lot of it is to do with your brain. And, and I've pushed my body all the time and I sort of, I always push that bit further. And so mentally, I think I'm quite strong. And by the way, I was talking about giving up cigarettes and the next one was going to be up in Kosciuszko. When I got to the Kosciuszko, I, um, getting off the subject a bit, but uh, yes, yeah, Susan pulled out the smokes. And, uh, and here we've got photos of me, but they, were, but they were lolly smokes, you know. <laughs> so I never had a smoke again after that anyway. But um, yeah, so mental, you have to be mental and, and, and really push through the barriers and... and I've trained myself all the time for that. I mean, it's a it's an amazing connection that you seem to have between. It seems to be not only about the challenge itself, but its connection to a story. Like that, what that's what seems to keep coming up with me is like yeah. you know I learnt this fact about this, or I you know connect, I heard this story about this person, or I read this story about this person and what they did, and I and then I had this idea that I would do this other yeah. thing, yeah. which I think is such a lovely way to be not only learning about the place where you live, but then sort of I guess practically involving yourself in. I mean, it's one thing to know the story of Burke and Wills, but another yeah. thing to be able to say, oh yeah, I walked that. Yeah. You know what they walked? I walked it as well. Yeah. I mean, right. that's an amazing leap of... What is it that, other than the fact that it's something that you've always done, what is it that still drives you to want to do things like this, I guess, is the question. I suppose I want to extend my life as long as possible and, um, and push the boundaries. And, you know, at, at my age now... I think that I've still got it in me. I'll find out. I'll find out when I get out on that road. And uh, and is there fears that 
I mean, you think you've still got it in it. Is there fears from anyone around you who goes, uh, Phil, you're 72. <laughs> you're looking a little bit down. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying. I'm just asking the question, yeah. Phil. The, yeah. <laughs> there must be some friends and family or, or are they all just like, oh, no, that's Phil. This is what I am, this I am is. really amazed that nobody has ever doubted me. Right. And I'm amazed at that. And in doing the bicycle tours all around Australia and different places, we go to so many motels and we say, can we book 20 rooms or 30 rooms? And very, very few people ever question that. You know, they say, yeah, sure, you know, you can book 30 rooms and, and we don't put a deposit down. And, and it's the same I've said. I, haven't, I don't tell a whole lot of people what I'm doing, but um, really nobody has said, you're joking or... Um, <laughs> get real you know they sort of and they probably in their brain they probably say <laughs> idiot dickhead or whatever but um but no it's surprising that very few people show any doubt and uh, and i have a lot of pr- i have a lot of um praise for the people they just accept people for who they are and, and go out and do it if you want to I mean that's that is the you know, the amazing message at the heart of it, isn't it? That you can actually just do these things. Yeah. You can dream something and then decide you are going to do it. Now, something that you mentioned to me just in passing before we started recording, which is <laughs> yeah. a whole other one, was you said it reminded of you when you wrote a penny farthing around Australia, and you just mm. dropped that as if that was just an incidental little part of this story. <laughs> but I feel like Phil, that's something that we should be exploring a little bit more. So, hang on, what, what did you do? Is that am I right? You wrote a penny farthing around Australia in 1988 in the bicentennial year. Um, have you got any time? I can tell you. We've got time. <laughs> tell me, please. I um, you live next door, mate. It's fine. You're yeah, not in a yeah. rush to get home. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually my. Um, it was in the local paper. I lived at Lilydale, and I saw a penny farthing advertised for sale as a as a in the clearing sale. And I thought, oh, and I had a big one hundred and thirty year old home up there, and with a veranda all the way around. And I thought, I'll buy this penny and put it on the veranda. It'll be good fun, you know. And so I went to the auction and um, and here's this old penny. And I took $300 and I was going to buy a few other things as well. And uh, went to the auction and here's this old penny and this, a lot of spokes had gone and a few other things were not on it. And anyway, the auction came up. What have we got for the penny? A thousand. I mean, um, yeah, a thousand dollars. Thank you. Eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. I came in at sixteen hundred. Somebody went to seventeen hundred. I got it for eighteen hundred dollars, and I thought, "Wow, you know, I've been stooged here because it was all over in a in a shot." Yeah. And the guy that I'd outbid, he came up and said, "I'll give you nineteen hundred for it." I thought, "Wow, okay. it must be worth its money." Right. Yeah. So I said, "No, I'm going to keep it." And he said, "Well, we're starting we're starting the penny farthing championships over in Adel- in in uh, Launceston, in Evandale, next year. You know, you'll have to come over." I thought, well, you know, so I got on this bike and I start, I had to have it all fixed up first and got riding it and um, that was good fun. We raced over in Tasmania there and then the guy said, we're going to have a bike ride from Adelaide to Melbourne. And I thought, wow, I would love that. <laughs> and um, and anyway, I was quite excited about it all and uh, and I found out that they're gradually dropping off and I thought, well, I'm going to do it on my own. Right. So I did it on my own. I rode from Adelaide to Melbourne in four and a half days. I averaged whatever that is, a couple hundred K a day or something. What's your top speed you can get to on a 
penny about forty-five k. Forty-five k. It's a fixed wheel. Yeah, and there's no brakes, and you've got to be silly, but that's what it is. <laughs> and so I rode from there. And when I when I finished, somebody said I was being interviewed, and they said, um, "What are you going to do next?" And I said, "Well, I could ride around Australia if I wanted to." And then I I realised that. That was in 1986, and I realised then that 1988, bicentennial year, wow, I could do that. And so I got in touch with Rotary, and I said, you know, I'll raise some money for Rotary. And they said, well, they they did doubt me. They said, this is a bit of a joke, you know. <laughs> but um, anyway, they, they even allowed me to put the, the tail of the penny on the, the Rotary wheel. You know, the Rotary uh-huh. wheel. Yeah. I was even allowed to... Which was quite weird, but but they allowed that. I had to go through a bit of, so I used that logo of Rotary with the with the tail on it, and um, yeah, and I rode, I I rode right around and raised over a hundred thousand dollars for Rotary. So how long did it take you to ride around Australia? <laughs> it was four, it was four and a half months, and I averaged about a hundred k's a day. <laughs> yeah. And so, what was the most challenging thing about that trip? Tell me, because that. I mean, that's a good example in some ways of... Because it's about the same time period as what you're about to embark on now. Obviously, a very yeah. different thing to do, but a, yeah. a similar sort of time period, right? Yeah. So you kind of understand what that, that takes. And if people think about this, I mean, this is months. If you think about what you know, anyone listening to this might have done in the last four or five months, it's a considerable amount of time that you will be embarking on this project. So when you're doing something like that, which is you know a third of your year, nearly half of your year... Mm. Um, what was the most challenging part of riding the penny farthing around Australia? Well, it was probably going downhill. <laughs> Where was the most dangerous hill that you well, went all down up the east there? coast? Yeah. All up the east coast, you've got all the hills, and I and I'm fairly good at climbing hills. Oh, I, I taught myself to climb hills because you have to, and um, but you've got one gear, and you're standing up, so you're. You're sitting upright, so you can't actually stand up on your bike. You've just got to push. But when you get up, uh, as soon as you get up there, then you're starting to go down, and you've got no brakes. It's a fixed wheel, so you've got to try and push back on the pedals. And you and I, I used to say to myself all the time, push back, push back, push back, because you really have to concentrate, and and you push back because if it let go, it lets go, or you can't hold it back any further then it will take off and then you will go very, very fast. So fast that, you you know, whatever it is, so you've got to crash straight away. Because, and, and when I bought the bike, by the way, the guy told me that uh, you won't be able to ride it anyway. And I said, how come? And he said, it's too big for you. I thought, wow, I didn't know they made them any different sizes. So, and the, I'm getting off the track a little no, bit, no, but, no. Um, but the, the seat... It was on spring steel and the backbone went on an angle and the spring steel went out so you had suspension on your seat. So I took my suspension off and put the seat right onto the backbone. So I've got, I've got it right on the, and a constant vibration, much more so than you'd ever get. And, uh, and so going down the hills and so also jumping off then, when you'd be sitting on the seat, you could reach back because your legs were longer and you could get this little peg and then you'd step off the back to get right. off your bike. So I could never reach that peg. So the only way I could jump off my penny was like jumping off a horse when the pedal was on its lowest point. 
I would jump off, jump off like jumping off a horse, see? And um, so going down the hills, if the bike got out of control, I can't even get off because right. I, can't, I can't jump off like jumping off a horse. So, uh, yeah, I had some very interesting times going down hills and I've got, to, I've got to assess it straight away whether I jump off, and, but I like a challenge, so I would go down them as... as and it might take me three quarters of an hour, half an hour to get down a hill because I'm going right. about naught mile an hour and I'm holding the bike back and it uses different muscles as well. You know, than, than pushing, you're, you're sort of, you're pushing back. And uh, so that was very tough. I suppose, I suppose that was the toughest and, and the most dangerous. And one time I was, I was over near Canberra somewhere and I was going down the hill because we went in to see the Prime Minister who did in front anyway. But uh, I was going down a hill and I'm, and I'm really concentrating and it was a long hill and uh, I was going down and then, and then a, a, a semi-trailer blew his horn. You know, good on you, mate. Well, it frightened the hell out of me and I, co- I lost my concentration and straight away the bike started taking off and he's going down the hill slow as well, not going too fast because of downhill. So I'm catching up with the semi again and I'm going to have to start passing him. <laughs> Because I could look down the bottom of the hill and I guessed, I couldn't see the bottom of it, right. but it went around, but I could see the landscape was levering, leveling out. So I let the bike go. So I'm probably doing 40 or 50 or 60 k's an hour or something. And luckily I was catching up with the semi. And, uh, but anyway, he had sort of sped off a little bit anyway. So I got away with that. But it's pretty scary and very dangerous because if I fall off the penny then, I'd smash my face. And you also got the handlebars right across your lap so you can't put your legs out. The only place you go on a semi on a penny is straight over the front, and you'll hit the hit the. And so what I used to also do sometimes is throw my legs over the handlebars, and then let it rip down the hill that I could see the bottom. And then if something did happen, at least I'm off and running at about sixty k's an hour. <laughs> but it was a safer way than smashing your face on the on the. Tarmac. I mean, a, a, another safer way would to not do it. Well. Get a bike, buy a safe bike that fitted you well, and yeah. ride that around Australia. <laughs> it would. And so they've never worked out brakes because if you have it on the back wheel, there's no weight on the back wheel. Right. And you're sitting on the, on the right on the top of that wheel. Because, and the bike that I've got is just about vertical. So it's a real sort of a racing bike, whereas the forks on other bikes can be leaning back further. And they are safer to ride, and they're not as not as um, vertical. So when I started to go down the hill, I'm really leaning back and holding it back. So yeah, apart from the hills, and I love the hills anyway. I love the challenge, and um, and of course you're going. There's traffic all the time going around Australia. And I had a support crew. I had Dennis and Tiny with me, and uh, and also another girl named Kay who who did a lot of sort of. Um, setting up for the Rotary because I spoke at Rotary clubs all around Australia and uh, yeah so it was it was a fantastic thing it feels like this spirit of adventure um, you know obviously has been with you a, a lot of your life like I yeah. mean the stories that I'm hearing from you know when you're young <laughs> to all these adventures it feels like you have been enticed by the nature of adventure itself uh, there is a question I always ask in this podcast, and I, I, I think it seems more relevant to, to this one than many of the ones that I've done, which is I always like to ask people about the idea of death. 
and whether they think about death and whether death is something that you know worries them or is present in their thoughts or whether it's not something that they think about at all. For someone who pretty much you've just described to me for the last half an hour about 80 ways you could have killed yourself, I'm interested <laughs> in how you you clearly don't have a particular... Well, or maybe you do. I'll let you answer the question rather than me trying to answer it. Um, what relationship does all this have to death? Are you not scared of it? Or is this all some sort of you know big middle finger up at the universe at the very nature <laughs> of death and I'll defy you and live as large as I can? What... Where does, do you think about death at all? Has it ever been something that has been in your thoughts as you've got embarked on these adventures? I have certainly thought about death and I, um, it doesn't really frighten me. I, I put as much into my life as I can and, and I, I, I'm very cautious in what I do. People think that I'm stupid and silly, but I think that I'm quite safe and luckily I have been safe. I have had a lot of luck in my life. I'm I'm sure that most people will say that, and um, and uh, I'm not really afraid of death, and I know it's going to come sometime. And I think, well, it's only greed. If you want to live to seventy or eighty or ninety, you're being greedy, aren't you? You're sort of, uh, you know, unfort. And I'm I'm not thinking about others then, but um, for yourself, um. I want to live life and enjoy it as much as I can and I think I'm still fit enough to do a lot of things so I push myself and I don't want to die but um, I've got too many beautiful people looking after me and um, beautiful people in my life but but it doesn't really frighten me. I'm happy to get out there and push the boundaries and and I know in walking the Birkham Mills Trek there's some roads there um, that we've got, we're on the highway with the big trucks and so on. And um, Susan and I were up in Queensland last year and I did three 40K, 40K days just to see what I was like. And, uh, and I remember I was, there was a lot of trucks that was up near the mines up there and, um, and the trucks were going past me and that's okay and I'd look at them and, and usually duck my head just before they went past because they could be throwing stones up. And... Uh, then a car came, was coming along towards me and he swerved straight over right at me. And I had to jump off the side of the road and I thought, wow, I wonder what that was all about. And it was a, a new car and he could have been maybe, because he looked like he was a dressed up guy, mm-hmm. but he could have been one of the bosses of these big mines and he thought, I'll get this guy off the road, you know, frighten him, which he did because I was meeting Susan at the 20K mark and, she, and I, she said that's where she'd be in the car. And so I got up there and I said, well, hey, we've got to get off this, off this road. You know, I've got to get on, on a dirt road somewhere. It'll be a lot safer. So in doing my trek, I know that the danger there is cars and trucks coming. And um, sometimes sometimes people don't like stupid idiots that are sort of going up the road. And they, <laughs> they either frighten you. And, it, and, when the, and I've got to walk to, towards the traffic and cars do flick up stones out of their... It might not even be a stony road, but the roads get the stones get stuck in their tread, and they can spin out and, of course, hit my face or hit my eyes or something. So I usually duck my head at the last second. So anyway, um, yeah, you, de- death. I'm not too fussed about it. You you both do seem like planners. I like I've seen you kind of you know uh, be putting your stuff together for this adventure over the last <laughs> you know few weeks, and it feels like that you are 
you're certainly not when, when when we talk about these adventures that you've been on part of the reason that you know you're still here to tell these tales is i get the impression that you are both quite meticulous planners is that correct the way that Very you put true. this together yeah yeah I, I am meticulous about the car and what i what the preparation has done for me or, or does for something like this and susan is very very meticulous in food food and and good organic food and and looking after your body is very important a lot of people might hear this and say you're joking phil but i i do <laughs> <laughs> i do now look after my body a lot better than what i used to and susan is a great one for that in looking after what I eat and what I drink and all that sort of thing. So we're a great team and um, and she's a very loving wife and I love her and it's just, uh, you know, we work very well together because when we're together for four and a half months and, you know, she enjoys doing what she does as well. She's not just my slave or anything like that. She loves it and she loves the enjoyment and the outback and the, and the challenge and she... She uh, will either walk back, she'll move up to 10K or just briefly I will leave maybe at 5 or 6 in the morning. I'll go 5K, which is about an hour, and then Susan will catch me up and if, it's, if all's good, I'll just give her the thumbs up and she'll go on to 10K and then wait for me. But then she might walk back for a K or two to see how I'm going and just join in and walk back to the car again. And uh, so it's a real, it's a partnership there and it's a very important partnership and, and you've got to be, you know, you can't be fighting or anything like that. We, are, we understand, understand each other and, and yeah, it's great fun. You know, you can't, you can't afford for her to st- storm off. You know, no. Uh, no <laughs> with your support van, Phil. No way. You know? Hey, hey, so come back. <laughs> well, look, uh, mate, this has been an absolutely fascinating chat. I have loved that you agreed to come and do this. This is... Uh, uh, just been really uh, delightful to hear these stories from you. Uh, people can follow this. Is the best place the website philsusanmcdonald.com. Is that the best place for them to go? That's the website, yes. That's the website. Or they, they could even just type in Phil's Birkenwills Trek and it'll come up. As it'll well. come up as the first and thing. And then, then they can donate um, to the Fred Hollitz Foundation via our website and then it's sort of attributed to, to our Trek then. Uh, so I will uh, do another plug for this at the start, so people will have already heard it as well. But oh, you've given there's a schedule in here as well. I'll be able to yes follow along. I'll be able to mm-hmm. see where you are. Yes. Uh, well, I this is I can't hide there. I've got to yeah. So <laughs> I'll put that down there and yeah. So it's all there. And so sometimes we'll be walking for eight, ten days between towns. So we've got to because I'm only doing thirty k's, and so we're out in the and we're just cooking under Middle the of open fire, yeah. So it'll be quite interesting. And the dingoes and the pigs and all the different things out there and the camels. I mean, yeah. amazing. Yeah. Uh, is there... Uh, I know that you're just about to embark on this one, but is there another one still up your sleeve? Is there a magic sort of, you know, if I could, I'd love to do that adventure that you already have percolating or is this the one for now and then you move on to thinking about the next one once this yeah, one's done? Yeah, I think so, yeah. A few people have said, what are you doing next? And I I have, I don't really know. They just sort of come into my brain. Yeah. But uh, no, I think, and I am kicking, I'll see how I go on this. But yeah, I want to keep on doing things and but I haven't got anything in mind really. I've got to get this over. It's pretty big. 
It's very big. Uh, <laughs> what a great adventure. Uh, it has been such a great pleasure to hear about it. Uh, as uh, Phil said, Phil's Burke and Will's Trek. If you just Google that, it'll come up. Or you can go to philsusanmcdonald.com and uh, please donate and follow it along. And uh, um, when you get back, uh, I want to hear all about it and, and what happened. So thank you so much for uh, coming and doing the podcast. Well, thank you very much, Will. And it's great to have you as a next door neighbour. <laughs> Thanks, I'm Will. very proud to have you. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll make sure I, you know, make sure no one breaks into your house while yeah. you're away. <laughs> <laughs>